HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from Roberta's Petrie in Bruswick, Brooklyn. Every Tuesday on the Heritage Radio Network from, eh, well, a little late today, to, uh, we have to, we're at the end on time today, Staz, 11.55. Uh, I'll tell you what happened to me. It's my fault, obviously, but uh, for those of you that live in New York City and take the subways and don't have your, uh, your Metro card automatically renewed for you, here's what happens when you go to the machine. You put the card, you put your card in the, first it says, what do you want to do? Duh, I want a Metro card, Right? Right? Stas, you're with me on this. And then it says, okay, uh, you know, what do you want to do? I, w- I want to refill this card. It can't, you can't just put the card in. You know what I mean? So you put the card in eventually after like 18 key presses. And it's like, well, uh, what do you want to do to this card? I want to put money on it. I want to go to the freaking subway. You know what I mean? It asks you a billion questions and it's like, you sure? Are you sure? You sure you want to go on the subway? And then like you, you have to enter a billion times. You know how it never reads the credit card on the first swipe? Mm-hmm. So Stas and I, our, our classic joke is is that the uh, person programming it should have just put a thing. It's like, have you missed your train yet? Have you missed your train yet? How about now? Now? Now have you missed it? So then finally it spits the damn thing out and I see the uh, – there's one specific subway that will get me here on time. And I saw – I saw it go bing bong as I ran up the stairs because I ran up the backside. You know how they closed the, the front and then the back and then they, and I got bing bonged. Anyway, my fault, but... The but best the, is when the machine's like, we only accept nickels today. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I just don't... I, I, like, I don't get this crap at all. Like, it, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist. You see, everyone... No offense if the person who programs these machines happens to, like, hear this at some point. But, look, uh, here's a guess. If dude... Or a lady, I guess, a person, Dewey's kind of gender neutral for me, right, shoves a, a Metro card into the machine, odds are they want to do something to it, right? You don't have to wait to ask them. Like, if they try to shove a Metro card in, just accept it. Just accept it. And then be like, oh, oh, wait a minute. This Metro card is a Metro card that has money on it, so he must want to add some freaking money to this damn thing. You know what I mean? And I'm not making a joke, but you're, you're, you have the only subway station that's uh, upstairs both ways like oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i live yeah i live in an awesome environment where it's like the old uphill in the snow both ways it's true though yeah yeah stas loves it because she has to go there because it's also the subway stop for booker and dax no i go to grand you go to essex no i mean when we leave the radio station when we go when we Mm -hmm. go from here the radio station jack how you doing 
I'm good. Yeah? What happened at uh, Williams College? I heard something went down there. Uh, well, maybe we could talk about that later. Um, Should we save that for after the break? No, I mean, all right. So I went to go. Are you talking about like the thing that made Nastasha actually happy for once in the past five years? Nastasha's been happy exactly two times in the entire five years or three, four years time? that we've been working together. What? What was the first time? When you got us booked on Jimmy Fallon the oh, first yeah. time, uh-huh. you were genuinely happy. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm talking about not ha- – well, this, I guess, counts for happy for someone else's pain. I've seen her happy for other people's pain on more than one occasion. And this one. So this is entirely my fault. I go to Williams, and I actually really like Williams a lot. So we're going to Williams. I'd never been to Williams College before. <laughs> and uh, the interesting thing about uh, – Jack, you ever go to Williams College? You ever hang out there? You ever go? He's not there. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, it's a college, not a university, right? And so the cool thing about it is that the students who are there, uh, the undergrads, get to do a lot of stuff that, you know, if you go to a university, like I'm sure at Stanford, right, same thing. You go to Stanford, the professors care most about the graduate students, right? It's just the way it works at a university. I mean, they care about you when you're in the class, obviously, but, you know, the graduate students are more important than the undergrads from this point of view of the professors in time. But if you go to a college, there are no graduate students, so the professors care about the undergrads. So those undergrads got to do some pretty cool stuff. Anyways, so I did a, uh, we did a, a lecture there and a sociology thing. So here's a story that uh, Nastasha, I guess, primed Jack to have me tell, and that is I'm driving for like three hours – and I don't know what the hell I, you know, we, we we're we, with Peter Kim from the from museum. the Museum of Food and Drink. By the way, are there still tickets available yeah, for that yeah. event? No, not that event. The one this weekend. Yeah, both. Okay, so uh, it's the New York, uh, it's the New York Food Book Festival or whatever it's called, Festival of Food Books, Book and Food Festival, Food Book Fair, Food Book Fair. There you have it. Uh, it uh, this weekend in in some Brooklyn, yeah. At the White Hotel. At the White Hotel. I'll be there recording the MoFad panel. Oh, there you go. And the uh, MoFad, the Museum of Food and Drink, is having the second of its roundtable panels. Do you know what time it is, Jack? Since you're recording? It's at noon. Yeah, I I do know. It's at the noon time, and and the subject is genetically modified organisms and uh, uh, their place in food. For those of you that don't know, uh, do we charge for this thing, Jack, or no? I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't. Uh, MoFads might be a little bit. Just go on MoFad.org. MoFad.org. Yeah. And they, they, we, anyway, we're, we're doing these series of roundtables, and I'm moderating but not giving any opinions, which is so hard for me, so hard for me. Uh, th- uh, we did the last one on the soda ban, and this one is on um, gene- like generally on genetically modified uh, organisms in the uh, food chain, and I am so sorry that I cannot throw my two cents in. The difficult thing, surprisingly, is it was more difficult for us to get – we thought it was going to be extremely easy for us to get um, kind of anti-GMO people on, but we have only really one kind of hardcore anti-GMO person, uh, and then you know, kind of like a couple, two that are vehemently pro, and one that's just kind of more in in the neutral zone. But we're hoping to get. Uh, we have some questions in from you know outside folk that are you know that are very anti. Because the whole idea is we want to have in these roundtables. Uh, a reasoned debate on both sides, not just uh, you know show one side or the other. Do, do, do people at this radio station are they anti-genetically modified organism, Jack? In general, I mean, generally, I'd say so. But we're trying to keep more of an open mind around it because it's mm-hmm. not so you know black and white. Get back to the Williams story. Well, yeah, well, hold no. a second. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not just that it's not black and white. It's like I don't even think that they that they argument is framed properly right i don't think people know what they're supporting or against necessarily for instance like here's something that people don't don't think they're 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 focusing specifically on like transgenic like additions of genes from uh different species 
or even different, you know, whole categories of thing into something for a specific trait. So, for instance, the ability to um, the ability to resist Roundup, right? So you have Roundup ready things, right? Which is a herbicide, or uh, the ability to uh, create its own pest resistance without the need for pesticides, which seems to me to be kind of an inherent good, right? Um, but whatever, or increased yield, or theoretically you could increase the nutritional value of things like the. Uh, you know, golden rice that has a higher beta carotene level. There's, there's a wide variety of things for doing this. But it seems to me that there's a, a bunch of different arguments for the harm of it. And other than the moral arguments, like the actual safety, there's also economic arguments, right? I'm not going to get into those. But the, if your argument is against the safety of it, right, there are things that we do to plants that are much more dangerous from a standpoint of uh, creating possible allergens, right, in the food system. So, um, you know, forced mutation through the uh, application of ionizing radiation, right, which is like, you know, has been since the atomic age has been, you know, uh, a, a method for inducing rapid uh, change in things like corn, for instance, right? You irradiate a boatload of seeds. Some of them have mutations. Some of them are useful or very few of them are useful. The rest get thrown away and you can get new things this way. Much higher potential, according to the studies I've read, for possible new allergens and weird crap happening with that sort of mutation than when you're taking a targeted gene that you know what it does already and injecting it in. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, but like that requires no labeling. No one's saying that we should go label those kinds of seeds. There's no – it's not even on the table. It's not even considered in the genetically modified uh, – you know, in the rubric of genetically modified organisms. So it just seems to me that like to frame all of GMO as kind of one thing under one-tenth that's done for one reason with one set of goods and one set of harms is kind of silly. No? Jack, you with me on yeah. this? Anyways. I like how you're like squeezing in all your opinions because you can't give them as you're moderating the panel. You like that? Yeah. You like that? All right. So back to Williams. So um, I'm at the Williams College uh, and I don't know why Nastasha – because Nastasha enjoys uh, embarrassment. Once she brings it up, I have to say it. So I I go into my room. I forget my luggage is. My luggage is is filled with uh, crap for demos like CO2 and – And your clothing. No, my clothing was in my shoulder bag. You said you st- – well, whatever. Okay. Anyway, my clothing was in my shoulder bag uh, and uh, – because who cares about my clothing? I shove that in my shoulder bag. I'm, the important stuff, the demo goes in my, in my, in my luggage. So I'm wheeling the luggage uh, and we didn't do it old school Piper where we had an open can of propane in it that was left on nearly burned his hair off. Remember that? Yeah. That was awesome. Um, wasn't really awesome. So Peter has – so, so anyway, so he has my luggage because I don't know. For some, I always carry everything. I always carry everything. Stas, am I right? I carry every freaking thing. So – so, like, Peter, for some reason, thinks he's going to help me out, so he starts wheeling my luggage, so I forget I have it, because my clothes aren't in it, you know what I mean, and I'm not carrying it, so it doesn't exist, right? So I go to my room, I've been driving for, like, three and a half hours, we're about to leave, so I, I go, and I forget to shut my door behind me, it's a giant room, by the way, William set us in these giant rooms, and uh, I forget to shut the door behind me, I, I don't know, I assume it auto-closes or something, and I go into the bathroom, and I don't shut that door either, because I'm alone in my room, and then... Peter and Stas come to bring my luggage, which they didn't need to bring to me because I was going to take it to the demo anyway because all the stuff in the demo is in it. And then I, I see them out and they're like, Dave, what's up? I'm like, oh, my God. I realize the door's open because they're calling in. I'm like, leave the luggage and shut the door. And then 
So Peter starts wheeling the luggage in into the bathroom. He starts wheeling it into the well into the into the into the there's a there's a hallway, a foyer, right? And I can see that the, the the kind of movement in the mirror. I'm like, "Ah, nah." I'm like, so I say I say close it meaning the door because clearly the luggage is already inside because I can see the movement of the hand. But here's what Peter hears. Closer. Closer. Why would I say closer? That's crazy. So so he starts going, all right. So I see him like moving in closer with the luggage. And I'm like, get out. Get out. What's wrong with you? Shut the door. Although I had some expletives that were like mixed in. But I guess from their standpoint, they're like, why is this guy leaving the door open? Maybe something's wrong with him. Maybe he's dead. I don't know. Maybe he went back inside or whatever. And they hear, leave the luggage and close the door. Closer. Anyways, so and that. That little, just to give you an idea of Nastasha, that little. Because uh, so you don't understand, Dave's biggest fear in life is either being naked or being on the toilet and having anyone hear him or see him. Yeah, or I, I don't like, <laughs> I don't like, first of all, I like, I only like my restroom in my house, which right now is buried in the very back corner of the house. And like, you know, my wife and I, we have our own. I don't know if the kids share it, nothing. It's like, you know, it's like my little castle area. I don't want to be bothered, irritated, spoken to. <laughs> then you close your hotel room door. <laughs> well, I, I, look, I made one error and then completely compounded out of all reason. <laughs> Nuts. Call in your questions too, 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Nice segue. Uh, you like that? Uh, yeah. So anyways, so you can go on the line and uh, go and see the uh, GMO thingamajig at the, uh, at the book festival. And I recommend checking out because you know what I like me some books about? Food. Like me some food books. Does you like some food books? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? Mm-hmm. yeah? Mm-hmm. Well, do you, do, you like, uh, do you like Grupo Pizza? It's totally random. Know. You don't know? I don't know what it is. It's that super thin cracker crust pizza? Oh, no. I like deep dish. What the fuck? What? I really love <laughs> deep dish. Deep dish? Where did this come from? I just love Chicago style pizza. Wh- when was it? La- I had it in San Francisco the last time I was there. So how? So have you been to Chicago and had it? Uh-huh. When were you in Chicago? Years, like 10 years ago. How is it that we've like been together this long? I have no idea that you like this kind of pizza. I love Which, by the way, in Chicago, when you go there and you're like, yo, gee, I want to try some of this Chicago, they're like, nah. They're like, nah, you don't really want to do that. Really? I don't know. They're like ashamed of it there. Hmm. Like the people I've spoken to there, the locals, they're like ashamed. I guess because they think, look, first of all, like when I was a kid, People used to say, oh, New York pizza. Oh, New York style pizza. You have New York style pizza. New- pizza in New York until about 10 years ago sucked. It sucked hard. It was bad. You know what I mean? There was like four or five places that made really, really good versions of like old school American New York pizza that I liked. You know what I mean? Like uh, I like, you know, I like Grimaldi's. I like Lombardi's. I like all that stuff. You know, uh, I guess Arturo's. I'm forgetting a bunch of people, I'm sure. But like, you know, like us actually kicking any sort of butt in the pizza world really is only the past 10 years, you know. But it, I've never heard someone say that, you know, they're like, you know what I really like? None of this crap. I really, you know, you know, DOP and, the, you know, the yeah. and the, none of that crap. What I like, deep dish. Deep <laughs> you know, dish. if I had to get like a, non, a non-restaurant or artisanal pizza or whatever, I'd probably go to Pizzeria Uno too. Yeah. Yeah. I've never, you know, I've never been to Pizzeria Uno. Is that similar to a Pizza Hut style? No, it's like it's you know their whole thing is like Chicago style deep dish. But I guess it's a level above the Pizza Huts of the world. Well, I mean, I would guess. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah, not uh, too hard. Yeah, but no offense to Pizza Hut. No offense. Offense is terrible. Or offense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, uh, someone sent me, you know, because everyone here who's heard the past couple of episodes knows what I feel about Subway and their new Flatitsa crap. 
Someone sent me that there's a new chain that's going to come out with a pizza cake. Yeah, I saw that. That's oh, like man. eight layers of pizza. It looks like deep dish. But it's like deep cr- – I mean like first of all, people, listen, people, people, people. Deep dish pizza works for one reason only. It's not like a crust. It's bread. It's freaking bread, Right. Right, And when you make a deep dish pizza, and I know this because even though I'm not a consumer of deep dish pizza, I did deliver Domino's pizza for a whole summer. Driver nice. in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I drove my mom's car with empty plates on it. So it was, you know, I, I was 60 miles an hour all the time. This was back when they used to actually still guarantee the delivery times. And like they would tell the drivers, listen, don't speed. Don't break any traffic regulations. But on the other hand, get the freaking pizza there on time. <laughs> get it there on time. And they would give you like three pizzas to do in one run. I was never late. This is, I mean, like, you know, this is why they should not let teenagers drive. Anyways, uh, so you pre-bake those suckers, and that's how you get them to work, by pre-baking the deep dish thing and then adding the stuff. So you get a layer of baked bread so you don't have that nasty, soggy nonsense in the uh, – where the topping, you know, meets the, meets the pizza. Now, because otherwise it would be a nightmare. Imagine, imagine, Stas, that you have, like, sauce against a thick thing that wasn't pre-baked at all. That's a, that's a nightmare, mm-hmm. right? So do you like the grease spray that they put on the bottom of those pans to get the deep dish stuff? Do they do that in Chicago? They have like the I layer of grease. It's, is it baked in a pan? Yeah, but I really don't remember eating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anywho, uh, so the point is that if you're doing it in a big cake format, how the hell are you going to get to cook right unless you cook them all individually, Where like flash cook them, then layer them and then recook them at the end? But even like an old school, like an Italian, like a pasticcio, like a pasticcio alla lepre or something, like a like a la- rabbit pie with like the f- raised sides on it and stuff, like in Bujali's old book, like I don't think that has lots of pa- pa- you know dough layers in the middle of it, does it? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's a, I think it's a nightmare of an idea. But we'll see. I mean, I'm willing to try a thin slice. I mean, who? First of all, who wants pizza in that format? Who wants to eat pizza with a fork except Bill De Blasio? <laughs> yeah. You know. All right. Um, okay. So uh, also, I was researching somebody's uh, question. What do we? Did I miss something? Did I miss it? No. Oh yes. Uh, Mofad is having its second blowout benefit on Wednesdays. The seventh. seventh. The seventh, which is a Wednesday. Yeah, uh, May seventh, and uh, we have an incredible uh, series of chefs coming in, and there are still tickets available. Go to Mofad. Dot org because uh, they have a link directly off the thing now, right? Yeah, it's expensive. You you guys wish you had gone to the original one that Nastasha and I threw and stupidly only charged two hundred and fifty dollars for it, which was crazy. Yeah, like you could not buy that meal anywhere near two hundred and fifty dollars. That was nuts. Like the value on that was crazy. We're mm-hmm. the dumbest two people mm-hmm. that they're at least that are sitting in this radio station right now. Oh, by the way, speaking oh, of, speaking of dumb. Uh, did you notice that uh, now that the weather's nice, Roberta's finally put up a freaking awning I know. outside? I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what the hell? Does that make any goddamn no, sense? No. It had to happen sometime. It's, it's the one day you don't need a freaking awning is right now. And there it is. And there it it's is. It's not an awning. It's a, like a, it's a winter door. Winterized. It's like a winter vestibule yeah. thing. Yeah, not an awning. Well, you know what, right. it, it's like a winter it, vestibule. It, it may rain a lot. Ah, but there's a, there's the inside thing. Ah, yeah. It's just a nightmare. And you know what? They put the thing up, but don't they still have the ratty curtain or do they get rid of the ratty curtain? They have the ratty curtain. So like the thing about Roberta's is, right, is that everything is kind of like – and I say this with love. Complete love, Jack. Right? He doesn't know. I don't I'm not No, but I'm saying – so you know. I want you to vouch for this. Everything yeah. put together with kind of like with duct tape, spit, and bubble gum. Yes. Right. And they're kind of like, hey, we want a dining room. I'll just get some Tinker Toys and glue this crap together and we'll have a dining room and somehow it works for them and it's great. Right? 
So, like uh, in typical Roberta style, when you walk in to prevent the wind from like killing everyone at the front, they have a ratty curtain. Which, you know, it was nice probably when it started, but it turned ratty and they kept it. And that was kind of the charm. And so they kept the ratty curtain and added the vestibule. What's up with that? Any thoughts, Jack? All I can say is when it's busy here at night that the spillover, maybe it'll help the waiting, people waiting. Who the hell wants to wait in a vestibule? I I hate waiting in a vestibule. A warm summer night. You want to be in a vestibule? Cramped in a vestibule with a bunch of hipsters? Nice for winter. By the way, my Booker and Dax were like, Dad, what's a hippie? Oh. Ooh. Did you see there was a Jesus contest on Sunday? No. Yeah. Well, we're running a little far afield here. Okay. <laughs> so uh, so I was researching a question that I'm going to read you in a second. Should we ever get the questions here on the show? And uh, I came across uh, this, uh, this paper, which I will just read you the abstract of because if you're like me, you read a lot of uh, abstracts of articles. And, and I like abstracts of review articles, but somehow this one captured my attention, so I'm going to read it to you. Applications and Function of Food-Grade Phosphates by uh, Lucina Lampila, the Department of Food Science in the Louisiana Sea Grant College Program, LSU Ag Center, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. LSU, that's for Pat. Yeah? Yeah. Go Pat. That's uh, not Pat the Patriots. That's Pat uh, Nastasha's friend. Uh, Food-grade phosphates are used in the production of foods to function as buffers, sequestrants, acidulants, Bases, flavors, cryoprotectants, gel accelerants, dispersants, nutrients, precipitants, and as free flow, anti-caking, or ion exchange agents. The actions of phosphates affect the chemical leavening of cakes, cookies, pancakes, muffins, and donuts, the even melt of processed cheese, the structure of a frankfurter, the bind and hydration of delicatessen meats, the fluidity of evaporated milk, the distinctive flavor of cola beverages, the free flow of spice blends, the mineral content of isotonic beverages, and the light color of par-fried potato strips. Hell yeah! That is an article I want to read about me, some phosphates. That's selling the phosphates. Am I right, Jack? Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Hell yeah. I'm like, phosphates, what? And they use phosphates to make them uh, more acidic, to make them more basic. It's like phosphates and everything. And this article starts from like mining rocks out of the ground to like all of those kind of things. So if you like a review article like I like a review article, go check out Lucina Lampila's Applications and Functions of Food-Grade Phosphates. Available at any, you know, major uh, academic library near you. You know, this could be like a regular segment on the show. You review a paper like that, you know? Yeah? Yeah, that was a pretty good review right there. Yeah, well, check this one out. This one, the paper's not so interesting, but uh, this has to have lost something in translation. So if I were to ask you uh, what a spent chicken is, Stas and Jack, what do you think a spent chicken is? Uh, Uh, The remains of... I, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it was like they had a bunch of like, you know, like par- like partially defatted fatty meat product or like mechanically deboned. Like that's what I thought they meant yeah. spent chicken was. No, no. A spent chicken is a chicken that's been laying eggs for like, you know, its entire like laying lifetime, however many months they allow it before it stops laying eggs effectively. That's what they mean is a spent chicken. So they're tougher, right? And like they're really good for things like soups and stews, but I guess these guys are trying to find uh, you know other uses for it. So here's this article. That, I'm just gonna read the title for you and tell you what they did. It's by uh, Anchor Das and uh, Dilip Ranjan et al. Uh, Dilip Ranjan Nath et al. And it's uh, studies on certain quality attributes of meat pickle prepared from spent chicken. Wow. You know what they do? They pressure cook and then f- they pressure cook in vinegar and f- deep fry with spices chicken until it has so little moisture and, and like so high acidity that it can just sit out on a shelf for 90 days without anything happening to it. 
But you, like, when was the last time you uh, hankered for a spent chicken pickle? <laughs> and in the article, they call them spent chicken pickle, which is, I think, a really good band name. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jack? You can start a band called Spent Chicken Pickle. I'll have to talk to Joe about that. Yeah. Speaking of which, what was that music we had at the beginning? Oh, it was a band called Snow Mine. Yeah, it's a strange combination of weepy and optimistic at the same time. Can I disclose something funny on the air very quickly? The um, the bassist in that band, the drummer rather, was my my but my orientation pal at NYU, and he was dating at the time a girl named Stephanie Germanata, who was one of our classmates. Oh, wow. And yeah, exactly. She went on to be Lady Gaga. Oh, really? Yeah. Her name is Germanato. Germanata. Stephanie Germanata. Yeah. So any skinny on that? I mean, I didn't like her band in college. Whoa! I mean, Jack's like, well, you but, know, I, I you heard know. her band in college. I wasn't a fan. I wasn't. I was, you know, <laughs> I just wasn't a fan. I just didn't, you know, I thought it was derivative work. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> oh, musicians. Dear Dave, Nastasha, Jack, et al., thank you for your assistance with my last question on sous vide fried chicken. I haven't tried it since then, but your description of the problem with my process seems spot on. Uh, and this is the question, by the way, that I was researching and found phosphates and all sorts of other things. I did fried chicken for, for Easter. You ever told you about that lady in the Rite Aid, right? No, uh, maybe. I'm, yeah. at the, I'm at the Rite Aid, like, you know, in February, and, like, they had Easter crap out. She's like, Easter ain't even Valentine's over yet. Not Valentine's Day. Valentine, like it's a time of day. Valentine. Ain't even Valentine's over yet. Anyway, uh, I did fried chicken for Easter. So whenever I say Easter now, I have to say for Easter. Uh, and attempted to deep fry some bread and butter pickle chips to snack on. Bread and butter pickle chips. You like the bread and butter pickle, Stas? I know. Really? No. Do you like any pickles? Uh, yeah, I like really hard ones. But you don't like sweet pickles? Yeah. But not bread and butter chips? No, no. Chips. No chips. Do you like – so what type of sweet pickle do you like? The thin, small, crunchy mm-hmm. suckers? Small, crunchy. What are your thoughts on the bread and butter pickle, Jack? Sorry, I got distracted. Bread and butter pickle? Like them? Hate them? Yeah, I like them. Yeah. Relish? You like relish? Nope. No? Mm-mm. No? Really? What about tartar sauce? No. What? Mm-mm. Really? What do you put on your on your fried uh, on your like you know mm. New England style fried seafood platters? I don't get that. You don't like fried seafood platters? Mm-mm. Let me tell you something, people. If you go to like the average you know clam shack on the, in the ocean, like I like on- clam shacks. I don't like the food. Okay, but if you go to them, right, with the exception of, like, real East Coast lobster roll, which is decent, right, if you're given a choice, they always have some crap called, like, the Admiral Platter or something like this, you know what I mean? Always get it fried. The broiled is a huge mistake. Huge. You don't like fried clams? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Even with bellies on, the yeah, fresh I ones? Don't like, I don't like seafood. What? You don't like seafood? I mean, I, like, I don't like fried seafood or cooked seafood. <laughs> I like a lobster roll. I don't like lobster. What the mm. hell? See, fried seafood for me, I'd rather do like lemon on it than uh, tartar sauce. Really? Yeah, isn't that weird? Like just lemon? Yeah. Do you like mayonnaise on your French fries? Nope. What the? Me Stas does, well, you don't like French fries, freak show. Uh, okay. Uh, I used a flour buttermilk flour process, which is similar to the one I use for, for chicken. And found that the flour generally rubs off quite a bit from the pickles after the buttermilk dip, leaving them partially unbreaded. Still delicious, but I think they'd be better with evenly adhered breading. Do you have a surefire way to get good, even breading adhesion for fried pickles? Thank you for your help, and I can't wait for my Sears all. Jeff Mays, Los Angeles, California. One of yours, does. Los Angeles. So, um, here's, the, uh, here's the deal. So, uh, I cheat. So, the old school, like, low-tech way, the problem you're having is 
the high moisture content is creating like a lack of adhesion of the uh, batter. So you're getting some slough off probably right at the beginning. I, I, I don't know whether you patted the pickle chips uh, really, really dry before you started, uh, before you did your first uh, pre-dust. But I'll typically do that to, to – because I've done a bunch of uh, – I, I used to do a, a lot of uh, fried pickles you know, uh, and I would dry them off a little bit. If that's not enough, you might even want to try letting them sit on a rack for a little while just to flash off some of their extra moisture because what you're most likely dealing with here is a moisture control problem. Now, because, you know, all I've ever learned about batter adhesion tells me that you want uh, the surface to be, you know, tacky and dry when you start. Now, of course, you know, going against that is the style that they do here and the pot pies and thighs style of fried chicken where they literally take it out of the brine and throw it right into the flour. But, you know, I've never, I've never tested. Everything I've learned has said that in high moisture situations, there's adhesion problems and also problems when you're frying of what's called blow off, where chunks of the batter will, will pop off during the cooking or slough off or not adhere properly to the food. Okay. So if, if it's not adhering beforehand, there are a couple things you can do. You can add uh, special. I don't do this, but you can add uh, specialty starches to the uh, mix. So, uh, like a batter bind, or uh, there's another one that's uh, used that's actually not sold by Modernist Pantry and not made by National Starch. It's made by the other corporation. Uh, its name slips my mind right now. But th- you can add that will, um, and they're usually. I think they use some form of oxidized starch because they're. Uh, I think they're pre. I think they're pre. Oxidized starches are usually what they're used in the, in the batter adhesion ones, uh, but I don't really remember why. I just remember they're oxidized starches, and um, those will increase adhesion uh, dramatically. And so, you know, I was looking last night at some um, at some microscope uh, microscopy and also just cross-sectional uh, things of different uh, pre-dusts containing either nothing control flour as a pre-dust uh, containing um, uh, methylcellulose. Uh, and containing um, oxidized starch. And the oxidized starch, sure enough, were like, sweet. They were awesome uh, in terms of adhesion. So you can try adding a modified product like that to it, uh, or you can do the really old-fashioned way. If you don't mind having a heavy batter coating on it, a lot of times for difficult things like okra, which tends to slip off a lot, like okra, even though it's got hair on the – you like fried okra styles? Uh, I haven't had it, I don't think. Oh, my God. Jack, what about fried okra? One of the few things I don't love, but I'll eat it. It's a little whoa. slimy. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not talking okra chopped up in a gumbo. I'm talking fried whole okra pods. You had it? Yeah, yeah. I, not fried. I've had whole okra pods, but not fried. All right, listen. Uh, it's just like, slimy. For l- l- me, l- not, listen, 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 listen. When you're, when you're like, uh, okay, you need to come over. We need to make you some fried whole okra because they're not, they're only slimy when the stuff on the inside kind of escapes. When it stays on the inside of its own pod, right, when you're frying it, it I mean, it still is what it is, but it doesn't have the feeling of sliminess because it, the outside is like super crunchy, the fried, the fried okra on the outside. And you, wanna, you want like a thick, crunchy breading layer on this. The outside and the inside is like melting and soft but does not come off as slimy at all. And they're great. The trick with it is, is again, do not cut them at all. Leave them whole. And um, make sure when you're shopping for okra pods in the store, assuming that you don't have your own okra uh, plants, um, you want to – a lot of times, especially where I live, they prepackage the okra in like little styro packs. You want to feel the uh, okra pods because uh, they start – at a certain point, the okra pods start getting woody 
on the outside. Uh, and then you can feel them. You can feel the ones that are tender and the ones that are less tender. And just stay away from the ones that are less tender because you're not going to be cooking them a long time like in a, in a gumbo or a soup. You're just going to be frying them really quickly. So you want them to cook really quickly. So make sure you're starting with tender okra pods. Bread those things and fry them. And that is some delicious stuff. And I've never had – even I've had people who hate okra. And I've never had someone come back and say, you know what? Like – uh, crap on that. That's not delicious because that stuff's inherently delicious. But uh, back to what I was saying, surprisingly, you would think that okra would have good adhesion, but it doesn't because it doesn't pick up pre-dusts well. Like the, the flour pre-dust that you put uh, in a typical – I mean everything depends on what kind of uh, batter technology you're using. So there's people who do pre-dust and then in a liquid flour batter. I don't do that. I do pre-dust into a liquid uh, then into a solid again. That's typically what I do. Um, but if, if you, the pre-dust does not adhere at all to okra. So what you do is, is you do a pre-dust, a marginal amount sticks, then you do your wet, then you do your solid and it picks up some, but still isn't coated. And then you do a quick re-wet and then a quick, quick solid again, at which point you have a nice thick, thick batter coating. And if you don't mind having that thick of a coating, the double do on it always makes it stick to all, to any damn thing. You're never going to get it. And that's what I do on, especially on products that have a high, uh, high rate of meltouts like mozzarella sticks. Do you like fried mozzarella sticks at least? No. Jesus. Jack, fried mozzarella sticks? Yes. Okay. I mean, come on. God, what the hell's wrong with these people? Um, not you, Jack. You just saved yourself with that one. Fried mozzarella sticks. Do you like uh, Do you like uh, grilling cheese, like uh, queso para friere or halloumi? No. Grilled? No. You had it? Really? I don't think I've had it. I, I, no, I know I've had it. I don't have an opinion. You don't like grilled cheese? Like grilled cheese delicious hot and it turns squeaky when it gets cold. Oh, I hate squeaky cheese. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's why you got to eat it when it's hot. That's why you eat it when it's hot. Eat it while it's hot. Eat it while it's hot. So the... Um, <laughs> Anywho, so uh, I would I would use that I would do that. So if, if you don't want to do the double dip, which is inherently going to get it, then the the you know the next thing to do uh, in terms of ease is a partial uh, pat down of them beforehand and dehyd not your pat pat down and a partial dehydration. Uh, not 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 so that they lose their crunchiness, just so that they're a little bit you know dry, a little bit pellicle formed on the outside. And then the next step up from that in technological difficulty is to add uh, some modified starch to the uh, pre-dust or to use a modified starch as the pre-dust. Uh, and one of those things should help you out. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, does that make sense? Yep. Very good. I love frying. Do you know that I have to – I had to decommission my fryer? Did I tell you that? Did I say that in the air? Well, it wasn't a leak. Did I tell us on the air? Did I talk about this? Uh, I I have to get around it. I have to get around it. You only have, yeah, today's a short one. I don't, yeah, my God. Okay. Uh, Question, uh, I don't have who the question is from. I hate that. Okay, uh, hey, Dave, Nastasha, Jack, et al. I'm a big fan of the show. Finally caught up with all the back episodes a few weeks ago. Question number one. My wife and one of my daughters have a gluten intolerance after much Gluten-free baking experimentation. My wife has found the most success using recipes for baking mixes from the gluten-free on a shoestring blog. HTTP, gluten-free on a shoestring.com, all-purpose gluten-free flour recipes, forward slash. Uh, one of the keys for a palatable texture in baked goods is using uh, these uh, – in uh, baked good using these mixes is – a super fine a brown rice flour and a super fine white rice flour. Buying the super fine version of either of these flours is rather expensive. The best super fine rices uh, we have found are from AuthenticFoods.com. Uh, but a regular rice flour results in a gritty product. Yeah, regular rice flour kind of sucks. Um, 
We have tried using both our crappy blender uh, and our food processor to grind a regular version of these rice flours to a finer consistency, but are not happy with the results. Uh, Vitamix is already at the top of my kitchen wish list. Is that going to be the best tool to use? Would some kind of mill uh, be better? Um, and that's Chip Smith. What's Chip Smith? That's his the name. name of the man. Oh, hey, Chip Smith. Just to shout uh, out. I, I, was like, I, was like, I was like, that sounds oh, awesome. Wait, do a machine your shout that out, Jackson. So we're not oh, yeah, commercial. shout out to John Riper. Oh yeah, just, just because. Do you want to do it? Do you, like, do you want me to answer this question? Do you want to do the quick commercial so that we get our get our bills paid? And then, yes. and then, all right, let's do it. White Oak Pastures is the only farm in the United States that has its own USDA inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. And we're back. Hey, Jack, I had a question for you. Yeah? Do you know of any farm that has its own USDA-inspected red meat abattoir? Yeah, they also happen to have uh, one of the best voiceover talents in the game working there. <laughs> I know. That, like, that guy like owns that. He owns, owns it. it. He owns it. He's Will like, Harris. We have our own red meat abattoir. That guy's like, I would buy, I would buy red meat from that man. Yeah, right. And it's available at Whole Foods. They're the only five plus star rated uh, poultry at, at Whole Foods. They it's, don't, ha- they don't have it at my Whole Foods. What Whole Foods do they have it at? I'll have to get back to you on that, but but check. Because my son Booker, the older one, is obsessed with animal wef- welfare ratings. That's awesome. He's upset. So he's like, he like, like the Whole Fo- the, Here's the mistake the Whole Foods made, right? Right, so uh, those of you that don't shop at Whole Foods, uh, if you go to the Whole Foods, uh, they, in their meat counters and in the in the cases on the side, not on processed goods usually like salumi, like liquercia and all that stuff that they carry, which we won't talk about that. But the um, on, on all of their kind of fresh meat goods, they put animal welfare ratings on it. The problem is this. Th- they start at one and then go to five plus with one being the lowest grade that Whole Foods accepts, but it's still – you know, from an animal welfare standpoint, better than nothing. Right. You know what I'm saying? So they what they made them like the tactical error. I think is that they and a lot of the stuff they have is ones. A lot of it. You know what I mean? Like the majority is ones. And like, don't you think they should have like made it from like a one to like seven? Yeah, and then not and then not bought one and two and been like Whole Foods only buys three, four, five, six, and seven. Yo, you know what I'm saying? Three will be the new one. Well, they they work with it. We've done some cool coverage on this actually, um, and they work with the producers to kind of get them from one to five plus. So it's like by bringing them on board, they're like, okay, you're good enough, you're a one, we can sell you, and we're going to help you get to a five plus. Right. I mean, because so yeah, there's like you know, there's different reasons to get into different aspects of um, of um, you know sustainable and or small farming, right? And one is that. One is that you just don't like the way animals are treated in large farms, right? Right? They yeah, don't like the way yeah. they're treated. You don't like the way they're slaughtered. Regardless of taste, whether it tastes better or not, uh, regardless of uh, you know whatever, you're willing to pay more to have an animal that has been kind of treated well. And uh, yeah, five plus is the highest, and I believe that means that not only is it like – Animal centered, pasture centered, but it lives its whole life on the one farm, right? And it's never taken off. And that's why they're probably the only people can do it because they never have to ship their animals off site. I think he's done. Right? He's like, I don't care anymore. 
No, sorry. Somebody walked in. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that's why, though. Anyway. Uh, all right. They're going to kick us off, so let me answer this question uh, soon. Uh, Vitamix, uh, I don't like grinding flour in uh, a Vitamix. Be- I'll tell you, tell you why. It's a huge mess, and it like throws particles up in the inside, and then when you open the thing, you're inhaling rice flour particles. I've done it. Food processors uh, don't work, as, as you say. Uh, I do not recommend – I don't know if you asked it. The only mill I've ever owned, it, uh, like grinding mill, is uh, the KitchenAid makes a, um, a, a grain mill that you can attach to, um, to a KitchenAid and it grinds things but I can't – I'd love to recommend it and I really want it to be awesome but it's not. I like it's just not. It's not – doesn't cr- produce a very, very fine flour. It's extremely slow. It tends to heat things up. Um, and I have, I myself have never used a mill that I, uh, liked, especially if you're going to be grinding large quantities, uh, of something. I've also tried using coffee mills to do, uh, grinding with, uh, not too much success so far. I tried using, you know, those hand cranked, um, Oh, what's the Japanese name? I forget. Uh, anyway, the one that we all have to do manual grinding. I tried to grind a bunch of bean flour in that, and that was a ruddy mess too. So um, I'm sorry to say that uh, I, you know there are ones out there, and I'm, but I, I hesitate to recommend any of them because I haven't used them. Go look for a high-quality uh, grain mill. I would say don't get the KitchenAid uh, grain mill for this application. KitchenAid grain mill works great for – and of course you don't care because you're doing gluten-free stuff, but – like when I was doing uh, all grain brewing to break up uh, to break up barley, it's great for coarser things. It's great, but like if you're doing, especially if you're going to do a lot of grains other than rice, anything that has a high oil content, the KitchenAid's going to uh, seize up on you. So I'll try to look in more and get uh, more recommendations for you for uh, the next time around. Or if anyone please wants to send me some um, grain mill recommendations into at Cooking Issues on the Twitter, I will gladly pass them on. Not next week's show because next week. I will be in. Uh, I will be flying uh, to France. I'm going to visit the Carthusian monks who make one of my favorite beverages, a chartreuse. Um, You're not going to be here next week. No, I'm not going to be in France. But call. I'm not. But I'm not going to be. Usually, when I'm in when I'm in another country, I can call in and say yeah. something. But the you'll the, be on a plane. I'll be on a plane. Oof. Uh, and I think I'll be on a plane. I will have to look up where I am because unfortunately, my travel both times is on a Tuesday. So if I can do it next week. I will call in because I don't want to miss two weeks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but I had one more thing on grain before. Oh, uh, for inexpensive supply of very fine grain rice flour, go to Asian markets. Don't go to your standard, uh, you know, uh, you know, Western supermarket. You can get really, really inexpensive, extremely fine grained rice flours at uh, Asian supermarkets. So if you live anywhere near one, uh, you can go get it, and you can get. I mean, obviously, they sell what's called glutinous rice flour. It doesn't really have gluten in it because it's rice flour. And they sell various grades and types of rice flours, along with many other gluten-free, uh, like strange flours, like yam flours and whatnot. And they're dirt cheap. They're on the level of price of AP flour. But I do uh, think that you know you should look into getting a mill of your own. I just don't happen to have a decent recipe. So uh, I will answer your next question. Uh, the next time we are on, and it's an interesting one, Stas, I want you to think about this. Uh, I'll read the question, but then since we don't have the time, I will not answer it. Uh, I'm a big fan of pasta puttanesca. You like that, even though it has a name that you don't like? Or do you it's n- okay. But you don't like the name. I mean, no. Name. no, you don't like the name. Nastas doesn't like names like that. Uh, I usually make more than uh, what I will eat at one meal because I like having it the next day as cold pasta. You like cold pasta? No. At all? Mm-hmm. 
What about like American oh, like pasta, pasta salad? salad yeah. Even though it's got mayonnaise on it? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Jack, you don't like the pasta salad because it's got the mayonnaise? I feel yeah, a mayonnaise hate. Right. I do like cold pasta, though. Yeah? Generally, yeah. What about like, what about, how do you guys feel about like cold sesame noodles? Those things are delicious. Oh, yeah. Delicious. Stas? No, no. She's like, no, no. She's like, she's, it's not the vegan face. It's like the head pressed as far back into her neck as possible, head rapidly shaking back and forth. Like, no, 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 no. Uh, something I've noticed about eating it the next day, when it is cold or at room temperature, I need to add salt. What's the deal? Is the colder temperature changing how I perceive the flavors that much? Thanks. Well, that is an interesting and I think more complicated than uh, you would think um, question. So we'll get to it next time. But the hints are that your perception of all flavors, most flavors, change uh, with temperature, how they relate to each other change with temperature, but also the food itself might be changing due to adsorption of sal- absorption of salt into the pasta over the course of the night. So we'll talk about these various effects the next time on Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.